Welcome to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Centre. In our whole church teaching through November, I taught on a theology of pleasure. Uh, I guess uh, that probably most of you who tend to listen to those podcasts will have done so by now. Um, and uh, in the course of teaching on that, I, I, there was a fair bit to say about our hope as Christians. Um, and in preparing those, uh, there was kind of more to say about hope than I could sort of responsibly fit into those podcasts. Um, so this morning, uh, I've taken the opportunity to uh, pick up some of that material and share it with you today. So in some ways, this is a little bit of a supplement from the whole church teaching, but it does stand alone. So if you haven't listened to those podcasts, don't worry, this should still be totally accessible and hopefully helpful for you. Um, But they do link in. Um, And my starting point uh, this morning is that it seems to me that a lot of the time that we talk about hope, um, we can tend to treat it as if it's uh, an aspect of our personality. Um, some people kind of just are more hopeful or just are less hateful. And I think the reason we do this is probably because we confuse it with optimism and pessimism, don't we? So if I ask you to think of kind of the most, one of the most hopeful people you knew, my guess is you'd probably instinctively think of like the optimists in your life. Um, and that's fair enough to an extent. I think there is sort of some overlap between being hopeful and being optimistic. But the danger is that because optimism and pessimism seems to be an aspect of our personality, you know, some people just are more optimistic, some people just are more pessimistic, we think about hope in the same way, you know. Some of us just are more hopeful, some of us just are less hateful, that's just the way we are, and that's kind of all there is to it. And that's the main idea that I want to challenge in the teaching this morning. I want to... um, suggest to you that hope and being hopeful is not a question of personality, but it's an aspect of Christian character. And the way I want to open this up is to look at seven or eight bits of the Bible with you and just offer a couple of reflections on each one. We'll just look at a scattering of texts and then at the end I'll I'll sum it all up in three or four kind of points and then we'll think together about... um, you know, what we might do about any of that, how we might apply it in our lives. So this morning is definitely less of a kind of intense preacher kind of message and more of a, a think with me about this sort of message. So I invite you to do that. And why don't you, if you have a Bible, if you bought your Bible, why don't you get it out? And if, if not, the text will all appear on the screen behind me. Um, but as ever, if you've got a physical Bible, it can be helpful to flick from one to the other, kind of it's one, one way we get more familiar with the scriptures is by getting used to physically where they are uh, in our Bibles. So, we'll walk through them. We'll walk through them one at a time. We're going to start in Romans chapter 5, a letter which Paul wrote to the church in Rome, which is in the New Testament, uh, of all the books in the New Testament, the one that um, probably most fully explains the gospel. Uh, and, and the good news about Jesus. And we'll start in chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. So Paul writes this, he writes, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's a really important bit of the Bible for many reasons, these kind of middle chapters of Romans, but including helping us to get a handle on what Christian hope is. So the first thing I want to notice about this passage is that it talks about the grounds of our hope. It's since we have been justified by faith. When we put our our faith in Jesus, and faith always means believing in him, doesn't it? But it means more than that, it means trusting him as well, the surrendering of our life to him. So when we do this, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, then we have peace with God. We stand in grace, not judged by God for our our, our sin, our sin, Not judged by God for our sin and our failure, but loved by him and forgiven by him and saved by him. So this is the core of the gospel. This is what it means to be a Christian. And this is the ground of our hope. The reason that we have any hope at all is because of what Jesus accomplished for us, what that establishes between us and God. This is why we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And the book of 1 Peter also talks about this um, 1 Peter 1 verse 3, which I think I'll go, there we go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Same sort of idea, yeah? We have a living hope because Jesus is raised from the dead with all that that means for his victory over sin and Satan and death and his gift to us. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter in January in the new year. That will be what we'll preach through. So we'll, we'll have plenty more chance to speak about our living hope. So the grounds of our hope are clear, I hope, and should be familiar to you. We have hope because we've been saved by Jesus. But these verses also uh, speak or start to speak about the objects of our hope. What is it we actually hope for? We rejoice in hope of the glory of God, or you could translate that for the glory of God. Doesn't doesn't really make any difference. And as we look at other scriptures this morning, we, we will flesh out what that means. What does it mean to hope for the glory of God? That sounds a bit ethereal. We'll flesh that out as we go along. Uh, third, two last brief things to take from this passage. So the third thing is it's pretty explicit here that hope is an aspect of character it's the clearest it's the clearest verse in scripture that says this not personality because endurance produces character and it's character that produces hope so not our personality not our circumstances not what happens to have happened in the last week or month or year but our character uh, produces hope and finally, again, I'm going to flag something here that we'll, we'll unpack a little bit later on. Hope is connected to love. So hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. And we'll explore that a bit later on. Okay, that's the first text. 
on to the second one. We're going to jump a few chapters forward through Romans. So uh, if we read the rest of Romans 5, we'd read about how all have died in Adam but come alive in Christ. I'm glad I don't have to explain that this morning. And then we chapter 6, we would read about baptism and what baptism means for the Christian, how that symbolises dying with Christ, giving our lives to him and rising to a new way of life. And then in chapter 7, uh, Paul starts to speak about, so what does this mean for obeying the commands of God and for the law? If I've risen to a new life with God, how do I do that? And, and he kind of uh, goes into the problem which we all face, which is I know what the right thing is to do. I actually want to do the right thing. I can't do the right thing. How on earth, how, how do I work that one out? And then we hit chapter eight, uh, where Paul starts to talk about life in the spirit. That as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that's what enables us to obey God. And that's what allows us to feel and know ourselves as adopted as God's children, is being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and as he speaks about being adopted as God's children, he can't help but then start to speak about our hope as Christians and it's painful to kind of just jump in at verse 23 because it it follows that flow but we're going to do that so he speaks about our hope that all creation has been oppressed by sin all creation all creation isn't what it should be that's the reason that life's so rubbish sometimes it's not what it should be and it waits eagerly for God to fully fulfill his purposes in the world And then we come to verse 23. It's not only creation, but it's me and you who are also waiting for our full freedom. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees, because he already has it. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. It's in this hope we were saved. And what hope is Paul talking about? The redemption of our bodies, the resurrection. We don't hope for the salvation of our souls. We hope for the redemption of our bodies. The life where uh, all is put right again, where God restores earth and creation to all it was meant to be, restores us to all we were meant to be and comes with all pleasures at his right hand. And I talked a lot about that in the whole church teaching. For this morning, the key point I want to take is this is kind of clear, as clear as we get about the object of our hope in the New Testament. If we want to know what Paul means by saying we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God in Romans 5, I suggest that this answers the question in Romans 8. The glory of God is the renewal of creation and the resurrected life. So you might want to ask yourself the question at this point, is that actually what I hope for when I, when I reach out for my hope as a Christian? Is that what I hope for? The resurrection? We'll dip into 1 Peter again because uh, this is again helpful. 1 Peter 1.13, he says the same thing. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully 
on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully on the grace you will receive when Jesus comes again, on the final judgment, on the renewal of creation, on the resurrection of your body. This is the glory of God that will be revealed to you in the last day. This is why it's so important uh, to, to have a grasp of our theology of the resurrection. Because we're meant to set our hope fully on this. And it's quite hard to set your hope fully on something you don't, that, that you can't sort of in any way visualise or, or conceive of. But this is what we're called to do because they're the object of our hope. It's in that day, it's in that future day that my hope lies. And I think to be um, fully free as Christians, uh, that day in the future has to become kind of almost more real to us than this day. That the, the day where God will come again, reveal his glory, put creation right, give his judgment and, and resurrect us to new life. It's kind of got to be more real. And that, I, no, I won't digress. I'll stick to the notes. Okay, so let's move on now. Another four chapters up in Romans to Romans 12. Again, I'm kind of glad for the bit we're skipping where Paul has to say a lot about well, what does this mean for the Israelites and that kind of thing. But then we get to Romans 12 where he starts to apply his gospel to the way the church should live. So what does this mean for how we should live? And uh, in verse 9 of chapter 12, he says this, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honour. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And the reason I, I wanted us to read this passage together is, um, is because it starts to flesh out what it means for hope to be an aspect of character. Out of all the other things on this list, which of these would we be happy to say is a personality issue? Let love be genuine, unless it's not really your kind of thing to love. <laughs> Abhor evil and cling to what's good, unless your personality kind of enjoys evil, in which case, feel free. I don't think we'd be comfortable explaining anything else on this list as an aspect of personality. And in this list comes rejoice in hope. Not if you're an optimist. Not if you happen to feel positive today. Because hope is about character. And because it's about character as well, um, we need to think of it like the other virtues, like the other aspects of our character. Do any of us become constant in prayer overnight just by trying hard? Of course we do, because you probably tried. You read this verse once thought, yes, tried, and a week later realised it's not quite like that. Um, all virtues take practice and intention and learning, discipline. Uh, you know, becoming a constantly prayerful person is something that's formed over time. We have to engage our hearts and minds, grow in the virtue throughout our lives. So the same is going to be true of hope. 
It's not going to happen overnight. But it's going to happen through a, a rhythmic application of ourselves to the development of hope as a virtue. It needs to be nurtured and grown. But the growth of hope as a virtue is not just our human work. And so our final verse of Romans is, comes from Romans 15, towards the end of the letter where Paul's um, really uh, praying and worshipping in his writing. And in, in chapter 15, verse 13, he says this. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit ye may abound in hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abandon hope. So as ever in the Christian life, there's not a zero-sum game between who's responsible for my change. It's not, okay, I need to become more hopeful, so uh, if I work really hard, pull out all the stops and try my best, one day I might become hopeful enough to impress God. That's not That's not how Christian change works. But neither is it the opposite of, well, it's the work of God. Uh, It's the work of the Holy Spirit. He wants me to change. So I'm just going to sit back and wait for it to happen. (laughs) And if it doesn't happen, then that's really on God because he's the only one that can change my heart. Neither of those are appropriate understanding of what it means to change as a Christian. It's always a combination of the power of the Holy Spirit working in us as we choose to put our shoulder to the wheel, to be intentional, to make choices and apply effort. Um, As Paul wrote, you know, to use Paul's words, we work hard, struggling with all the energy that he powerfully works in us in, uh, in the book of Colossians. One does not cancel the other out. But God in his power works in us as we work hard to change. Okay, the final text I want us to look at before we sum, we sum this up and apply it is 1 Corinthians 13, which is probably most familiar to you through weddings. <laughs> it's, um, which is a bit of a shame because some of us then get a bit snooty about it and like, oh, it's the wedding text. It's actually one of the most beautiful texts in scripture. Um, and well worthy of our meditation. Uh, And it's the love hymn. And we're just going to pick out verses 7 and 13 this morning um, because those connect love with hope. So verse 7 says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And then Paul finishes the hymn by saying, Say now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three but the greatest of these is love. So what does it mean to hope all things? Um, well, it can't, it can't literally mean hoping all things for the same reason that love believes all things can't literally mean believing all things. If, if you believe all things, you just believe a load of contradictory stuff. You know, Try believing that Australia is the other side of the world and in Europe. It's impossible to do because it's nonsense. Say, say believe all things means love believes all things that should be believed yeah and say with hope say love hopes all things that should be hoped I think is the way that we should read this the more mature your love the more full your hope perfect love is reflected and related to perfect hope Um, so 
I don't think these virtues are particularly separable. As we grow in love, we must also grow in hope and vice versa. I think this is why Paul ties all three together in that verse 13. Faith, hope and love abide, but the greatest of these love. And it should remind us of where we started this morning in Romans 5. We've been justified by faith, so we rejoice in hope, which doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because really all of this is about knowing Jesus. <laughs> and to know Jesus is to, is to have faith, to trust him, to know something of his love, which gives us a reason to hope. I think the greatest of these is love, is just because they're all about knowing Jesus, but, but love is the deepest form of knowledge that we that we have. But that's, that's probably a different sermon. Love is the deepest form of knowledge. So there you go. We've rattled through a few texts. Thank you for patiently bearing with what probably feels more like a Bible study than a sermon. So let me kind of sum it up and pull it together in, in four points and then just suggest a few ways that you can start to walk this out. So first of all then, our first summary point is that the ground of our hope is Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, his grace, his forgiveness, his mercy, his salvation, as we trust in him. There's no other ground for our hope. Try putting your hope in anything else. There's no other sufficient ground for having any hope, really, other than the grace of God to us in Jesus. Point two, the object of our hope. So that's the grounds of our hope. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What's the object of our hope? The object of our hope is ultimately the future revealing of the glory of God in the renewal of creation and in our resurrection. Set your hope fully, 1 Peter says, on the grace that will be revealed to you when Jesus comes again. So we can hope for other things in, you know, but in terms of substantial hope, hope that uh, allows us to be children of God, this is the object of our hope. The pleasures of God to be lavished on us in the glories of his love when he comes again. And um, sometimes you hear it quips that, you know, people who are really heavenly minded are no earthly good. That if you're always thinking of future life with God you'd never get on with anything now actually the testimony of history is exactly the opposite that those who are secure in their hope for the resurrection will happily sacrifice anything now because they know they've got nothing to lose and everything to gain that's why I'm convinced that if we have to be clear on our hope if we're going to really live lives of discipleship it's what allows us to do that Okay, third, hope is an aspect of character. Banged on about that enough. I won't, I won't do it again. We work with God, not, not apart from him, not in passive presumption on him. We work with God to grow in hope. And finally, hope is connected to love. And we should expect to grow in both together. And if we're people who are regularly lacking hope, then probably, unfortunately, we're also regularly lacking love, I would imagine. So if this is true, how then should we live? What should we do about this? What could you do about this over the coming days and weeks? 
Uh, I've got five suggestions, I think. Six suggestions. Um, they're just suggestions. They're not comprehensive. Um, they're not particularly profound. They're just some ideas. And I would encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit as I talk through them and see what he might impress upon your heart to do about all of this. I would highly recommend not trying to just do them all. <laughs> but they're, they're just a bunch of suggestions. So here we go, six suggestions. So first of all, we might try to ask God in prayer to make us more hopeful. Just make it a rhythm of our prayer over the next period of time. And, uh, and as we do say, as we sit before the Lord and ask him to make us more hopeful, why don't we concentrate on trying to receive more of his love? If it's love that hopes all things, then when we come to the Lord, ask to receive his love that we might become more hopeful. Maintaining that as a rhythm of prayer might be a good place to start in growing hope as part of our character. Second suggestion, count your blessings, past blessings and future blessings. I think the more we can recognise the good gifts of God that we've already received and the, and the good gifts of God that we're guaranteed to receive in the resurrection the more that our current circumstances aren't going to cloud our perspective and the more we'll be able to hope in God, I think. If you're going to do this, can I, can I suggest you um, do it by writing them down rather than just doing it in your head? See if you can get to 100 within a week. Like, Why don't you spend five, five minutes a day for a week writing down your blessings? See if you can make it to 100. And, and observe if that makes any difference in your hopefulness in God. Okay, a third suggestion. This is, this is less practical, sorry, but really important. Um, it's maybe a long-term goal for some of you. Get your worldview right. Get your worldview right. So I've tried to start that today. Hope is not a personality trait. It's a character trait. That's a part of your worldview. That's a part of how you see reality. If you think hope's about personality, you'll never change because you'll think you've got no control over it. It's part of your character. But also, I've, I've spoken about other worldview issues this morning, about uh, our theology, our theology of the resurrection, for example, if you feel murky on your theology about some of what I've spoken about, maybe you would commit over the medium term, three to six months, to like read something about it. Or join uh, the discussions in the new year on the Theology of Pleasure. Listen to the podcast and join the discussions. Why don't you commit to doing something about your worldview so it gets a bit clearer and a bit more robust in this area? Because our theology, um, it really matters. It basically really matters. <laughs> What you believe is true will shape how you see the world, which will shape how you experience the world. And if what's most true are these eternal realities rather than our passing circumstances, we do need to get clear on them. So that's the third one. Uh, fourth suggestion, 
And the last three, again, a bit more practical. Why don't you express your hope in gratitude? So this is similar to counting your blessings, but rather than just counting your blessings, why don't you go one step further and express some gratitude for them? Either um, when they're to do with people by kind of actively actively going out of your way to make an effort to say thank you to people for whom you, you, you have something to be grateful for or in gratitude to God for the blessings that he's given you. I just often find that grateful people also happen to be hopeful people. Do you think? You know, Think of a really grateful person. I'd put a bit of money that they're also quite a hopeful person. So if you want to become more hopeful, why don't you become more grateful? If you've got a list of 100 blessings, that's potentially 100 thank yous, which is good, a good list to be getting on with. Okay, fifth suggestion, uh, preach to yourself. Uh, a lot of the time over the last four years, as I've taught you as a church family, I've kind of emphasised lis- listening to yourself. Because as we listen to ourselves, we become aware of our inner world, and so we know what it is we've got to do something about. But it is equally true to say that we need to, we need to talk to ourselves as well, don't we? We need to remind ourselves of what is true proactively um, because it's the truth that sets us free. And it's so important to listen to ourselves so we understand ourselves, but we must not kid ourselves into thinking that as we listen to ourselves, we're getting the truth about reality. We might be getting the truth about how we feel or what's going on inside us, but we're not necessarily getting the truth about God or other people or the world. Often, Often we need to talk ourselves into that truth and yeah, you know me well enough to know I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking or any, anything like that. You, you know what I mean. Final suggestion. Uh, express your hope in loving others. If I know that Jesus is coming again, um, that as he delivers his judgment, I stand forgiven with nothing to fear. And in fact, we'll be totally renewed, resurrected, set free from sin and death, uh, given new life in a restored creation that no good thing will be withheld from me. The fullness of God's love will be poured into my heart and, and I'll enjoy the pleasures of God in his grace for all eternity. Then I can afford to love someone else, can't I? I can afford to do that. So act it out. And act it out kind of, if it doesn't sound too weird, in the way I've just said, kind of talk yourself through, this is your hope, John Smith. The resurrection, the glory of God, the pleasures of God, therefore I'm going to choose to love this person. And maybe consciously tie your love to your hope. I think that's what scripture, scripture connects the two. So I think we can take, take a step forward in becoming more hopeful by also connecting our hope and our love. Okay, so six suggestions. I'm just going to pray that the Holy Spirit impresses on our hearts what he wants us to do about this. And then I'll give the mic over to Stace and Phil. So Lord, we, um, Lord, I confess that um, when I read what Paul wrote, he seemed to have it flowing through his bones. It, it, 
it seemed to be a reality that, that was in his day-to-day life, that he, he knew the love of God that had been poured into his heart, that he knew the hope of the glory of God. And, uh, and I seemed to touch into that like every couple of months at best. So, Lord, help me and us to grow in this, Lord. Not to impress you, not because you are kind of looking on with judgment about how hopeful we happen to be, but because it it seems to me that Paul was free. That to become hopeful is to become more alive in you. To enjoy life more fully. to be a different kind of person and the kind of person I want to be, Lord, and that you've called us to be. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you draw near each of us and um, impart your power to us. Not say we can avoid responsibility or leave it all up to you, but that you would give us the strength to do something. And that you'd also impress on our hearts what what particular thing might be the best next step for us to grow into freedom. And I do thank you, Lord, for your promise that as we grow in hope, we will not be put to shame. Not like a false optimism that can be so detached from reality that in the end it just delivers a pile of disappointment. But that our hope in you will not put us to shame because you pour your love into our hearts and because your promises are true and faithful and you guarantee them. And that our hope will be fulfilled. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Centre. For more information about who we are, what we believe and how you can get involved, check out our website www.amblecotechristiancentre.org.uk.